Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. Brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Hell's Bay Boatworks, Turtle Box Audio, and Orvis Fly Fishing. For many, a love for the outdoors and a love for good food go hand in hand. Men and women who hunt and fish have spent countless hours grilling, baking, and frying their way through the food that they love. For Chris Herrera of Palm Coast Fishing Charters, food has become more than just an interest. It's become a part of his business and who he is. Recently, when spending a few days near his home waters, I got a chance to see Chris's restaurant, Captain's Barbecue, and to taste some of the incredible dishes that can be found there. We sat down in the middle of Bing's Landing, a busy park and public boat ramp where his restaurant is located, and had a conversation about his history and guiding, how he likes to target redfish in various scenarios, and how his battle with cancer has shaped the way that he sees life on and off the water. Chris is a real people person, known for his gift of gab and ability to be intentional with clients and other guides. This podcast is filled with great tips, stories, and insights. And I really appreciate Chris's honesty and was inspired by his focus and continual positivity. We hope that you enjoy. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you. You know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. No one else knew anything anyway, and you just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's the old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? Out? So look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. All right. Well, hey, Chris, thanks for hanging out with me today and sitting down with the podcast. Awesome barbecue. Can you just explain to everybody? Because I don't think I could explain what I just ate as far as this this uh, contraction of a sandwich that you put together. Well, first, welcome to Palm Coast. Welcome to Captain's Barbecue and welcome to beautiful Bing's Landing Park. Yes. Um, so what you had today is something that's not even on the menu. You got to know somebody to get what you had. And it's called the <laughs> Holy Cow. And it's actually was invented by a good buddy of mine, AJ Nesty. Uh, you know, you come in and everybody loves a great burger. Mm-hmm. Burgers, you know, what, cheese, a little bacon, a good bun, yeah. cooked just right. We take it an extra step further. We put the holy cow in there. We put the whole cow. We put pork on it. We put bacon. We put, you know, you had to burn ends on there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fantastic burger. The pickles. Tell me about the pickles. Pickles. That, was... that derived from a friend of mine, Susie. Big booty Susie, we call her. <laughs> I, won't, and... I won't ask why. <laughs> so, um, bread and butter pickles. Marinate them in some, um, what was that called? And I told you earlier, and I forget sometimes because all the damn medication I'm on. Uh, sweet Thai chili sauce. Okay. And you throw some garlic in there, some other seasonings. You let that marinate for a few days. Fantastic pickles. You throw that on there. So you got, you got a half-pound burger, 
I put about four to five ounces of burn ends on there. Mm -hmm. You got candied bacon, you got two different kinds of cheeses, you got some strawberry jam, some sriracha mayo, <laughs> you toast that brioche bun just right, and you got yourself the holy cow. And, and we got ourselves a timeline that we're working on on recording this interview before before all that hits. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, because you go in a food coma after eating yeah. all that. Yeah, I'm going to fall asleep, but no, it was great, and man, what a beautiful day just to sit down outside the restaurant and and have an interview and um really excited to get this opportunity to hear your story and i've had a couple people point me in your direction from this zone uh across the state on the other side of florida from where i'm from and i'm excited can you just tell us first just how you got into the outdoors and, and hunting and we'll also talk about some barbecue too but you got it specifically um, fishing and hunting growing up in little palm coast known as an old retirement community you know there wasn't much for us kids to do here uh, heck 12 years old, I'm driving around. If you drove past, <laughs> past the cop, you weren't going to see him for the rest of the day. So we would just, I'd pick up my buddies and we'd go surfing. I mean, surfing was a deal back when I was 12, 13, 14 years uh -huh. old. Beach volleyball, you know, spent a lot of times outdoors. We didn't have the video games like the kids have today. So mm -hmm. we, you know, our entertainment was outdoors. Uh, come to wintertime, you know, in the, in the fall, you got hunting season. So we got deer hunting, we got into duck hunting, we got into fishing year round. It was just always being outdoors. You know, my parents were the kind of parents where sun came up, get your ass outside, mm -hmm. don't want to see you till it's dinner time. You sit there in front of a TV, they'd smack in the back of the head and go, no, turn that shit off and go outside. Yeah. You know, it's beautiful. You live in Florida, go outside. Yeah. So that, that's how my outdoor, the love of the outdoors started, just as a young kid, just being bored, living in a small community and enjoying what this place has to offer. And for you, when did you make the decision that you didn't just want to do it, you wanted to do it as a part of your job? What, what did that season oh. look like? Heck, I started that thought when I was young. I used to tell my parents all the time. You know, parents always want to hear, my son's going to be a lawyer. He's going to be a doctor. I'm like, I'm going to fish for a living. They're like, damn, you're going to be a broke-ass bum living with your parents for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what I would think. No, um, yeah, I started off young. Uh, I, w I waited till about my early 20s to get my captain's license. Mm -hmm. But that's just because, you know, when you're 18, I love to fish. I wasn't too worried about work. More about chasing the bikinis and, you know, yeah. surfing and having a good time. You know, you're... In, 18 man top of the world yeah um but then it's like man i i, I gotta move on i gotta start making some money before actually gardening i got into real estate business oh interesting okay and that was kind of like my family opened up one of the first real estate companies here in palm coast okay my uncles just saw the route i was going just hanging out with my buddies enjoying the beach life fishing every day and he's like man you need to come to work for me mm. and i'm not asking i'm just politely telling you you need to come work for me so you may go get my real estate license and somehow finagled a way to make money selling real estate, but out of my skiff. And what I did, I found out we had this market boom where, you know, back in the day, you could be able to buy a lot here for about $3,000, $5,000. Well, yeah. every month, every, I'm sorry, every week, that price was going up two grand. And builders could not keep inventory. I mean, there was just, as soon as it went on the market, it sold. So what I did is I sent out a bunch of mailers. And I would literally spend my time in my skiff fishing and my phone would ring. Hey, I got your mailer. You want to buy my lot? I said, yeah, what do you want for it? Ah, I don't know. I'll take 12 grand. Good. I'll give you 15 because the more I sold it for, the more commission I would make. Yeah. And I sold all my real estate. 90% of my income out of real estate came out of my skiff <laughs> while I was out there fishing. And that's where I said, you know, I need to start guiding. Yeah. You know, because real estate, you know, you got that bubble. And when that bubble burst, I was already transitioning to guiding. Yeah. And lucky for me. I made enough money selling real estate, bought me a nice little skiff, and got my captain's license in my early 20s, and uh, just made an easy transition. When, when people are starving now, can't make any money selling real estate, 
hell, I just started booking charters. Yeah. And I haven't looked back. It's been 17 years. What's gift were you in? You my Hell's Bay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah okay. I've had that my whole career. Wow. Now yeah, that I, is awesome. Tell us about that. So, um, you know, obviously Hell's Bay makes some of the best gifts in the world, mm. you know. And uh, I came across this one. It was 2003, fairly new. Had to have it. Um, not going to go into full details on how I got it. Yeah. But uh, let's just say I got a great deal on it, mm-hmm. and I just make sure I keep it up, and that's my go-to, man. That's just my baby. That's awesome. Is yeah. it a what? what so um, it's a 17.8. Back then, it was called the Whip Ray Professional. Okay. So, you know, the Whip Ray today is a 16. The 17.8 is a professional. Yep. Back then, it was the Whip Ray Professional 17.8. Okay. So it's just a little configuration difference between the center console, the live wells, and, and the storage areas, that sort of thing. But it's a very sought-after year, 2003. It could be hit or miss on which one you have, but I got the good one, and good. that's why I won't give it up. Nice. As you know, you you get on, you, you ever hear these old timers? Oh man, I had a '72 Camaro just like that. I can't believe I sold <laughs> that thing for three grand. You know? Yeah. And they kicked themselves in the ass. Well, that's how I feel about my skiff today. Yeah. It's just one I'll never get rid of. Yeah, and it's something cool about having something, having that long of a relationship with the skiff. That you know, just to know that boat in and out, but then also just uh, racking up all those memories and. I think there's a lot to be said. Instead of trading it out every single year, which has its own benefits and pros and cons, but you don't get that connection, you know. And so. this thing's a tank. The yeah. things I've done to this boat, and it's still, I mean, no <laughs> cracks, no nothing. I mean, like, oh, there's a little berm right there. It's like, you want to go around? It's like, no, I'm just going to jump over it. Yeah. Like, you can't go jump. Oh, damn, you just jumped over it. You know, it's just, <laughs> and the thing just keeps going, man. It's just indestructible. I yeah. love it. I love it. Yeah, very well built. So, so tell, for those maybe who don't know this area, so something that, you know, uh, I think when people think about fishing in Florida, they predominantly think about the Keys. You know, Northeast Florida is not usually something on people's mind. Give us a rundown about what type of fishery that you're working with here and how you like to kind of go about it. Well, what separates us from most of South Florida is mud and oysters. You know, you guys got that nice plush grass, turtle grass, and all that eelgrass, all mm-hmm. that good stuff. You got the clean water. No, here it's brown water muddy bottom mm. and oysters that are just scratch the heck out of your boat every which way uh but you know with that it's great redfish habitat mm-hmm. and that's what i mostly target around here is redfish that's mm-hmm. my bread and butter that's why you know i make my money chasing redfish what's so you know as somebody who has a lot of turtle grass a lot of white sand a lot of clear water what what are some of the differences in how you target redfish and, and muddy water it's understanding patterns understanding their past, their, their lanes mm-hmm. they take in and out, where they're going to sit on certain tides. And that's another thing with us. Here, being northeast Florida, we experience some of the highest tides in the state. Mm-hmm. Luckily for me in Palm Coast, it's only about two foot. You go further up to St. Augustine, Jackson, where you get into that five foot range, yep. four and a half. Then you got the flood tides, which is a little bit more. But here, just understanding how fish flow on and off the flats and around oyster bars in certain areas with the tide. You know, your lower tides, deeper depressions are going to be holding. Higher tides are going to spread up to the grass lines and hold up around oyster bars. Um, and, that, and that's what you got to learn here to be successful. Yeah. So with you, you know, you're, you're doing real estate. You're selling, you know, taking phone calls and making money off your skiff. And you're in your 20s. And then you start to build out your business. I mean, what did that season look like transitioning out of real estate into, into guiding? Were you doing it full time? I know eventually you have yeah. started. The, the, the guiding was just about basically full-time when mm-hmm. I transitioned into it because as a real estate agent, if you bought something or sold something for me, well, guess what my gift to you was? I'm taking you fishing. So a lot of that built up my clientele because mm-hmm. 
oh man, I had a great time. This is do you do this for a living? I said, no, not yet, but maybe one day. And then I got my captain's license. Mm. Send out, you know, back in the day we didn't email people. You send out actually letters. Wow. You know, it's something these young guys don't know how to do. It's all email or text. Yeah. You know, back in the day to be professional, you send out a letter. Hey, Mr. Bob, you know, I just want to say, uh, I know the last time we fished, you said you had a great time. Well, guess what? I did get my captain's license. I'm fishing full time now. And if you have any friends or family yourself that are going to be in town and you want to come join me, I'd be happy to have you. Here's my website. Here's my phone number. Give me a call anytime you like, mm-hmm. and we'll get you set up. We'll get you out there catching some redfish. Yeah. And that, and that just transitioned smoothly right into it. Do, do you feel like real estate helped you learn how to manage those relationships that way, or have you always been pretty good with the relationship piece of things? I think it did help because as a young guy growing up, it's not like they teach you people skills in school. Mm-hmm. It's either you have it or you don't, or you can be taught it. And with me, I kind of had it, but I refined it with always having to talk to people on the phone. Mm-hmm. And what my job was, because I worked out of my skiff so much, was I never sold stuff face-to-face or listed all these lots face-to-face. It was always I had to sell myself over the phone. Now, how do I get you to trust me over the phone, a guy you've never met? And I'm sure I'm not the only guy you got a letter from. You mm-hmm. probably got letters from 50, 60, 70 other agents. How do I stand out? So I learned at a young age how to talk to people and how to convince people that I'm the person for you to do the job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that, that definitely helps in the transition into guiding. Like we had a little conversation over lunch. You know, I get a lot of phone calls. I get a lot of overflow that I spread out to my other guides. And I would give them that tr- client. I said, hey, look, I'm busy. I, I, you know, I'm going to set you up. My buddy, Captain Tim uh, or Captain Jim, give him a call. And then I call those guys back 10 minutes later. Hey, did you guys book it? No, no, they don't want to go. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. I just talked to them for five minutes. They're all gun ho. Yeah, you got a hot lead. Yeah. Yeah. How did you not close the deal? So then I learned it's just how you talk to people, how mm. you sell it. And not oversell, not undersell, but be truthful. Tell them exactly what their day is going to look like and paint a picture. I always mm-hmm. tell these young guys, paint the client a picture. And then they're sold. Yeah. And that's how you close the deal. What, what other areas do you feel like um, that you learned maybe from real estate that helped you to be successful as a guide? Obviously, the, the people skills, anything about presentation or just kind of how to give them a good day or, or showcase the area? Hmm. I have to think about that one. I'm sure there's a lot of skills I learned selling real estate. A, a lot of it's just having to gift the gap. You know, being able to really talk to people, get down to their level, mm-hmm. uh, finding some common ground, hmm. and 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 just. I think the more you connect with somebody, the more they open up to you, and the, the more they just want to hang and be with you, and basically hand you money. Yeah. You know, and and that's what I learned through the real estate. Just just really talking to people. Um, being organized, you know, as a guide, a lot of these young guys today think, oh, I'm going to get my captain's license, I'm going to get a website, I'm going to get a boat, and that's it. Business is going to come running to me. I don't have to worry about sending out emails, letters, follow-up phone calls, and all that. Yeah. Well, in the real estate business, that's all it is. It's always following up, following up, following up, taking notes, making files of people. Well, that's what I do with my clients now. I have files on my clients, so when they call me, their name comes up on my Rolodex or on my um, on my cell phone, and I go, oh, this is Mr. Jones. And I'll look up a little bio I have on him, and he likes to do this, this, and that. He's got a wife. He's got a couple of kids. And, and then, hey, Mr. Jones, how's Lisa doing? Yeah. Oh, man, he remembers Lisa. And you, when you touch somebody on a personal level like that, they become clients for life. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things I've heard about you is that you are really good and intentional and entrepreneurial with the business side of things. Whereas I've met a lot of guys that are really fishy guys who just don't have great 
relational skills. We don't have good business skills. And with you, with, with that Rolodex and keeping all that information, I see that being super helpful to people who are guides or just, I guess, anybody really in the business world. Is there an app or a, a, a device you use for that in particular, just your notepad? I, I mean, don't. It's a notepad. And, and it, it, actually, what I'm telling you here, I've never told anybody. Like, nobody knows I actually do this stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I would write it down on my little notepad, eventually transfer it over to uh, like a spreadsheet I have on my laptop. Mm -hmm. uh, now I don't do it as much as I used to. I mm -hmm. mean, I've been in business for 17 years. So a lot of my repeats, I, I mean, crap. I, I've had clients come in with their kids that are five years old, mm -hmm. and now they pull up and the kid's coming out of the driver's seat. And I'm going, holy shit, when did you get your license? Yeah. It's like, dude, I'm 19. Like, damn. <laughs> Time flies. Yeah, I remember you were five years old. This is yeah. crazy. Um, so, you know, once you get in business doing as long as I have been doing, you don't have to keep up with that as much because you got so much repeat business. Mm -hmm. But as a young guy starting out, that's if I can give you a tip, it's get personal with your clients. Yeah. Send them out that Christmas card or nowadays you can an email or a text and, and stay in touch with them and really get to know them on a personal level and they'll be clients for life. Yeah. That's that, that's I think that's super helpful. And I got a couple more questions in the we'll get to them in the rapid fire kind of pertaining to that. Another thing I, I know about you is that you're you're really intentional, obviously with with your the way that you do business, but also with the way that you try to maximize your time on the water because you're running a barbecue restaurant, you're you're doing a lot of different projects, um, and I know that you try to really maximize your time on the water when when scouting. What does that look like for you? How do you try to make the most of, of the time that you get out there? So, are we talking about scouting? Well, let's talk about both scouting and when you're out there with a client or. Or with a, a friend? Being, when you live in an area, you fish so much, there's, you really don't have to scout so much. Mm -hmm. But when it does actually come to scouting, what's great is I have a network of guys that work with me. Mm -hmm. And it's nothing for us to always come after our charters, sit down at the captain's table here at Captain's Barbecue, drink a few beers, have some, some lunch, mm -hmm. and discuss our day. Who did what? Who found fish? And we can kind of collaborate. And, and to me, that's a way of scouting. We, we kind of help each other out. Yeah. Also, when we're out in the water, if somebody's struggling, we shoot a text, hey, how you doing? Man, haven't caught anything yet. Come over here next to me. We're on them. Mm -hmm. um, so I do a lot more than that. Um, yeah. A lot of my time now, like if anybody understands, when you, when you do what you love to do for a living, after a while, it kind of wears off on you a little bit. And you're just like, eh, you know, I don't mm -hmm. feel like going out today, just scouting. You know, yeah. just ran 12 trips in a row. I need a day off to work around the house. Um, so I don't physically go out and scout yeah. as much as I used to. And being that you know the area, you know the fish are going to be sitting in the same spots time in and time out. Yeah. It's, it's just they're always in the same areas for the most part. Yeah, you got 20-plus years of built-up knowledge in this area right. of that. So for you, too, um, on running that network, I think a lot of people do that with a handful of people. But what are some tips if, if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, man, I want to get better at just maximizing my friends, relationship, fellow guides, whatever. How, how do you do that well without, you know, seems like there's some caution tape, some boundaries that got to be set around that, too. What does that look like? So one of the first things I look for is the new up and comers. I see these young guys come up and I know myself when I was young I had a few guys that were mentors to me mm -hmm. the older guides the OGs they take me under the wing they said no 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 do this tie it this way go over here and during this tide mm -hmm. so I feel like I'm not obligated to do it but I feel like it's like the passing of the uh, uh, of the rod or whatever you want to call it you, you have all this knowledge why not pass it on to the next generation mm -hmm. that way 
one, you gain their trust, and two, they're going to do it the right way. And, and I don't, by the right way, I don't mean my way. I just mean let's be a little bit more conservation-minded. Mm-hmm. Like anything, any, you know, you talk to your dad, your dad's a fishing guy. Ask him how the fishing was 50 years ago. He'll mm-hmm. tell you it's way better than it was today. Same thing with here. Uh, one thing I like to do is I like to do a lot of catch and release. Mm-hmm. A lot of these young guides come thinking, man, if I don't bring a limit to the fillet station every time, I failed as a guide. And that's not the case. To be successful doesn't mean catching a bunch of fish. It's making sure that client steps off that boat and has just had the best day of his life, mm-hmm. the best time of her life. They, they, they laughed. They took photos. They caught a few fish. They enjoyed the scenery. They enjoyed the wildlife. And they just experienced something they wouldn't normally experience. That, to me, is a successful day, not mm-hmm. catching 50 redfish in a day. Yeah. Some how, of my best trips, we've only caught maybe two or three fish, but we had a fantastic trip. How, how do you help them try to think that way? Because I think that even I know a lot of guys who are, you know, they, they catch and keep, but I don't know anybody who doesn't want their clients to appreciate all the other aspects. So for you as somebody who's trying to say, hey, I want people to recognize that you don't have to catch and kill everything, that you can just go out and enjoy the water. How do you help them try to think that way and and recognize those types of things? Money drives a lot of decisions. Mm -hmm. And when you tell a young guide, you know that redfish you killed? You just killed off your fishing partner. That fish to you is worth more alive than it is dead. When you go back here and you don't find those schools of 100 fish anymore and now there's schools of 20 fish, what do you think it's going to be in five years from now, 10 years from now? Mm-hmm. I said, you ain't going to have these fish anymore. So what are you going to be doing? You're not living your dream anymore. You're going to have to go get a real job. Mm. So a lot of the way I talk to these guys is all based off of economics. You know, if you, you know sure, you want to do this because you love it, but you got to earn a living. Yeah. And if you kill off your business partners, you're not going to be earning a living doing this job. Mm. You're going to be doing something else. That's good. What about a client? Like, what if you have a client who, you know, they're just old school mindset, you know, let's just keep throw everything in the cooler we can, bring it home, freeze it. They I mean, don't go on my skiff. They don't go on your skiff. You don't try we, to ship that. I vet that out immediately in, in a phone call. You call yeah. me for the first time, get your name, what are your expectations? And one question I always ask, do you plan on keeping any fish? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we want to fill the cooler. We want limit to this limit. I said, I'm sorry, I'm not your guide. Yeah. And I'm going to tell them truthfully, our fishery does not, can't hold that kind of, we don't have that kind of fishery here. Yeah. And you don't have to go with me. You can go with somebody who's going to tell you they can do it, but you're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So with me, I am promise you I'm going to work hard. I am promise you I'm going to put you on fish, and you're going to learn something. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to fill your cooler. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I will keep a flounder, some black drums and trout. But we're not, you know, we're not talking about keeping limits. We're not going grocery shopping. Yeah. We're not filling a freezer. You know, we got a great restaurant down the road, JT's. Super nice guy, Johnny, lets my clients go there with our fresh caught fish. You know, if we're going to feed four people, we'll keep two fish, fillet them up, we'll take them over there and, and eat them for lunch or dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, that's fine. Yeah. But we're definitely not filling the coolers. For you, when did, when did you kind of really get connected to that conservation mindset was there a, a light bulb moment for you or did you grow up that way no I- no no growing up here i was one of maybe three or four guides and i was probably one of the busiest ones so i had the whole place to myself lots of fish killed all the redfish all the time mm-hmm. flounder all that you know, it was you're young everything's there's nowhere going to replenish mm-hmm. this but over time you start noticing man this school of 200 fish is no longer 200 fish and now 100 fish now it's 50 fish now it's, mm-hmm. man i don't even see a school here and that, this started happening about 10 years ago and ever since i said all right i'm limiting myself to maybe 
12 redfish a year. And that slowly progressed to now is I don't really keep maybe two redfish or three redfish mm -hmm. a year. You know, a few flounder. I mean, I, flounder, we, we get good numbers of flounder. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they migrate in and out, but the redfish stay here. Uh, same thing with trout. But again, we don't fill the coolers. We don't, you know, limit out. It's mm -hmm. just how many people do you have? How many people you want to feed? Let's, let's make that a goal. Let's just feed to five people. That's three fish or two, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and that's what I try to teach these young guys. It's like this is we're in an entertainment business. We're not in a grocery business. Yeah. You know, so if they want groceries, there's a fish market right down the road. They can go down there and buy all the <laughs> red snapper and trigger fish they want. Yeah. You know, let's, we're out here to entertain and teach you and, and keep you busy during the holidays, your vacation time, or whatever it is. Yeah. So. so so, tell me, so, you know, we were talking about how even the place that we're sitting right now, this boat ramp and, and Captain's Barbecue, this area has changed tremendously since you were a kid. Obviously, the fishery has changed since you were a kid, and even when you started guiding. How have you tried to adapt with your fishery changing so much? Just on the, the success level, how do you try to stay successful? You got to change and you got to adapt and you're right about that if you look right now look at this lot this parking lot just full of boats and trailers yeah um look young guys coming in right now these guys are just out there hamming fish every day so you got to change it up mm -hmm. and uh i use today's technology to do that actually you know we mm -hmm. spoke a little bit about the hummingbird and, yeah. and things like that so shallow water fish when they get awfully pressured what do they do they leave yeah. And what they do, they seek refuge in deeper water. Mm -hmm. So I've learned now to just use my te the technology that's offered to us today with the hummingbird side scanning and all that. Yeah. And I, I change it up. I just fish deeper. Mm -hmm. You know, I either fish very shallow where people are scared to get in because they know they're going to get stuck. That's one way I like to target fish. Yeah. Or I do the complete opposite. I go very deep. And what I do is I scan along the intracoastal. I scan docks and they can't hide from you with that side scan. It's yeah. amazing, that technology. And you pick them up and you go, oh, there they are. Now, do you do some of that on the fly? Or are you using mostly conventional or? Uh, spinning gear. Spinning mostly gear, spinning. Yeah. yeah. So so, so you'll side scan them and then you'll say, okay, we know that there's some good numbers of fish on this structure right here. We're going to throw a fluke or, you know, what, yeah. what, is that yeah. kind of the game you're plan? Jigging the bottom, mostly, you know, because you're fishing eight, ten foot of water, yeah. six foot of water. So it, it's mostly throwing a jig down there with a soft plastic or mm -hmm. a mud minnow, a shrimp or whatever. Any it is. tips on that, like on fishing them eight to ten feet? Because we get, we get a lot of fish stacked up in that depth too. I mean, any things that you've learned over the years that could be helpful? Slow moving current. I don't like it when it's ripping through here because it gets too too hard and and you got to throw too much weight and the drift is not too any yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. And they, they tend to slow down their bite. So right at change of tides is really good. Mm -hmm. And just throwing up current and just let it bounce to them. And if you if you're in the mix of the school they're down there you know they're not scared of anything at that point they're just down there to feed yeah and you get a good small you know hour window of just steady catching yeah now you mentioned also the polar opposite which is the super shallow water i actually recently almost got stuck i've never been you know knock on wood knock i've never wood been here, stuck neither have I. <laughs> you heard it here today guys um <laughs> Um, but we almost did, and actually Cody was with me, and a couple other guys were, were with me, and we almost got stuck in some pretty shallow water and would have had a pretty long afternoon ahead of us. Um, what, what tips do you have on trying to navigate that shallow water? And, and I feel like I guess the obvious thing is you get in the moment, you're chasing fish, you're seeing fish, and the next thing you know, you look down and you go, uh-oh, you know, this happened fast. But what tips could you give on doing you, that really shallow you, water? You just got to know the lay of the land. You just got to know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Um, you got to look at the weather. You know, west winds here are going to suck the water out. So if the wind's blowing out of the west, you know it's, the tide's going to drop quicker. Um, and just know that your game plan might be that, hey, I am going to get stuck in this flat, but I'm not going to get stuck 
on a sandbar where I can't fish. I'm going to be in yeah. a flat moving around, pulling around, chasing fish while I can't get out of the flat because there's certain areas that's too shallow. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to stay in this flat till I have enough order to get out. Mm-hmm. And that's the key to really good sight fishing in the shallows here is getting into these flats, last of the outgoing tide, getting stuck in the flat, but mm-hmm. in an area that's, you know, deep enough to, you know, 8 inches, 10 inches of water where you got a lot of redfish in the backs hanging out, you know, and you use that to your advantage. Mm-hmm. And then when the tide comes up, the fish disappear, then you can run out of there. Yeah, yeah, that so makes it's, it's all timing. Yeah, that, that 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 makes perfect sense. Are you throwing flukes at them a lot too, or we, that's when we do most of our fly fishing? Okay, fly yeah. fishing, uh, yeah, soft plastics, flukes, um, sometimes top orders. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. pretty cool to see a redfish with his back out of the water and you got a little top water plug just going right yeah. next. Yeah, what's to your nice what's stuff. your favorite top water plug? You have one? Um, I got two. I like the uh, Zara Spooks. The, you know, Spook Juniors. Yep. Because those are easy to walk for clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I like the uh, Skitterwalks. Yeah. The yeah. Skitterwalk, just that, the ball bearings in there, just got a certain sound that fish really do like. And I've caught a lot of fish on both. Yeah. So so uh, take me to this, you know, it, it's very obvious that you love the business side of guiding, which I enjoy hearing about, just the intentionality that you put into it. But, you know, you also were sitting here outside of Captain's Barbecue, and something that's interesting about you is that you're not just a fishing guide. You got involved in becoming a, another, you, you are basically a part of owning two small businesses. You know, one, you're, you're guiding, but also your barbecue sitting behind us. How did that happen? How did that roll out for you? So as a young guide, you think, man, I'm going to be young forever. Mm-hmm. I can do this forever. To somebody knocks you in the head and brings reality to you, says, hey, you got no 401, okay, you got, you know, what are you doing for savings? What are you doing for retirement plan? Mm-hmm. And as a 20-year-old, 30-year-old, you don't think about the retirement. You just mm-hmm. think about the getting up the next day and going catching fish. So Mike Goodman, my partner, asked me that question one day. You see yourself doing this when you're my age? Mm-hmm. And I'm looking, I'm going, man, this guy's old and decrepit. Hell no, I don't mm-hmm. want to be doing that when I'm your age. And I said, man, no, you're right. He goes, well, you better start thinking of your future. Mm. And... We need to do something together because I just retired and I can't sit still. So how about you and I going to business together, doing something? I'm like, okay, what are you thinking? He goes, I don't know. Well, let, let's go to your house. Let's have a barbecue and let's let's discuss it over dinner. Mm-hmm. So I went there, cooked up some ribs, some brisket, pulled pork, that sort of thing. Sitting mm-hmm. down, he goes, man, this is delicious. We ought to open up a barbecue restaurant. Mm-hmm. I go, shit, well, let's do it. <laughs> it wasn't eight months later. We already had a place picked out. Doors are opening. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything just went quick. Mm. And that's the thing. You get an idea and you have the means to do it, don't procrastinate. Mm-hmm. Life is short. You don't know when life is just going to throw a curveball at you. You got to just push and push and push. And that's what we did. And uh, it's been, we're going on eight years now. Mm. And uh, it's, it's been a blur. How do you feel like, so I guess when I first hear that, I'm thinking, okay, somebody's on the water and they're, they're, sole thing that they're focused on is fishing, 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 fishing. And now all of a sudden, now they're involved in another entrepreneurial pursuit, which is this barbecue restaurant. It's obvious that, you know, a lot of people would think, well, that's probably going to hurt your fishing or hurt your guiding. But on the back end, I think there's a lot of ways you probably have learned a lot and gained a lot from it. Could you share some of the things that, some of the ways that this journey with Captain's Barbecue has helped you as a guide and and angler, potentially? I'm not going to say it's helped me out. It's made my life a lot tougher. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I appreciate the honesty. I'm going to be honest. You know what it was? I, you know, to get up 
four thirty, five o'clock in the morning, get the skiff ready, head out, be done by noon, taking a nap till mm. two, three o'clock, get the skiff ready for the next day. That was a life, you know. Mm. Oh man, it was great. Now that day was get up at five, you don't come home till ten, and you do that every day. Mm. And but you know what? You gotta put in the work. If you wanna be successful, you gotta put in the work. Nobody's mm. gonna hand you anything. Mm. So I, I figured I'm young. Nothing hurts right now. No aches, no pains. Just bust your ass. Do the best you can and, mm. and, and try to be successful. Because mm. if you're going to half-ass anything, that's exactly going to get half-ass. Mm. And that's no way to live in life. If you want to be successful, you got to put in the work. So I can't say the restaurant helped anything transition into my guiding because I've been guiding a long time before I opened up the restaurant. It's just more, I think, the guiding helped me transition to the restaurant. One, dealing with employees, learning how to talk to them dealing with my suppliers, learning how to negotiate deals, um, dealing with customers. You mm-hmm. know, we got great customers here at Captain's. But you get a couple of unruly ones that you got to kind of put out fires. So between the real estate, learning how to talk to people, being in a boat for four, five, six hours with strangers at times that you don't know and you get to know them, mm-hmm. you become a people person. And that's what you, you want to be a restaurateur, you got to be a people person because mm-hmm. you're dealing with employees and your customers. And you gotta learn how to talk to people and make everybody happy. And a lot of people that listen to this podcast are guides and are involved in the fishing industry. And, and a lot of them, because of COVID or because of declining fisheries or a number of things, are trying to think, man, how do I supplement my income? What did, what advice would you give to them at thinking through how do I try to supplement my income to make ends meet here? I don't know about supplementing your income because I've been thinking of ways I can supplement more of my income. But I can tell you this. When the going is good, save your money. Save, 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 save. I see a lot of people, oh, I just ran 10 trips in a row. It's time for me. I'm going to take the next three, four days off and go on vacation in the middle of season. No. No, you don't do that in the middle of season. Bust your ass. Do 30 days in a row. Do 60 days in a row. Do 120 days in a row. Mm -hmm. Our season's from mid-February through September. Mm -hmm. Work every day you can. Just because you worked a month straight doesn't mean you're entitled to take two weeks off. I mean, you can do what you want. Yeah. You know, everybody has different work ethics. But me, season means I'm working. When it's out of season, out of September, all through, you know, fall, hunting season, duck season, that's when I take my time off because business is not that great. Mm-hmm. But you work your ass off during season and save your money mm. because, they, you know, nobody thought COVID was going to hit. Nobody said, oh, next year business is going to drop off 90%. Nobody knew that. Mm. And those are the guys that didn't save their money. They're, you know, crying for that stimulus check. Yeah. You know, but the ones that saved, they're like, screw it. I got time off. I'm going to go out and do my own fishing now. Mm. I need a little time off. But that, that's the only tip I give these young guys is when it's going good, save your money. Mm. That's good. So you had mentioned earlier that, you know, you don't know when life is going to throw you a curveball. And something that we had talked about some leading up to this was that life threw you a pretty hard curveball with with your battle of cancer, which you've been somewhat private about, um, but recently have kind of started to share more about it. Could you just kind of share with us what happened there and maybe the ways that that's impacted you as as a person, but also as as a guide and angler? Definitely life changing. You know, nobody thinks cancer is going to hit me. Mm. And it started about a year ago in February. I was out, uh, came out of uh, tournament fishing retirement. I said, you know what? I'm ready to get back into the tournament scene. Mm-hmm. First tournament back, we had a great, great show, and me and uh, my partner Tommy Derringer. And the next day, I wake up and my my kidneys are hurting me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to add, you know, I'm 42 years old. I'm no spring chicken anymore. And 
I normally don't spend a 10 hour day on a boat and trying to balance yourself. Maybe I'm just a little sore. Mm -hmm. and, and those pains just became persistent over time. And I'm going, man, am I getting kidney stones? Mm -hmm. I've never had a kidney stone, so I'm talking to all my old clients. Hey, you ever had kidney stones? Oh, yeah, man, that's the worst pain ever. Yeah. Well, this is what I'm feeling. Oh, that's definitely one. So I started going to the doctor. Hey, doc, I think I got kidney stones. He did all the tests, blood work, all that. No, everything came in clean, man. You're good. You're healthy. Okay. So another month goes by. Pain keeps coming. Nope. Go back to the doctor. Man, you're healthy, man. You're good. You're good. Well, this went on for about seven months. And finally, I went to the doctor one last time. I said, listen, something's not right. Mm. I feel great, but my kidneys are killing me. I said, you know, just give me a colonoscopy or something. He goes, well, look, you're 42. You don't need one until you're 45. Mm. I go, oh, I don't need it when I'm, I thought I'd need it when I was 40. He said, no, no, 45 now. I said, okay. I go, well, give me one anyway. Well, get the colonoscopy. I'm sitting there in the bed. Doctor comes in, and I'm just joking with the guy. Hey, give it to me straight, doc. What do I got? You know? Mm -hmm. He goes, hate to tell you, man, but I think I found a big old cancerous tumor. I go, what? Wow. Cancer? He's like, yep. You got an appointment on college just on Friday. This was on a Wednesday, I find out. I'm going, damn, how bad is it? Because couldn't tell you. This is uh, for an oncologist to look at and tell you. So I go to my, you know, the oncologist on Friday. She looks at all my scans. She goes, mm. you got stage three cancer. Mm. I'm like, oh, shit. You know, how bad yeah. is it? She goes, don't worry. It's colon cancer. It's curable. You know, this, that, and the other. She says, luckily, it's not stage four. I go, yeah, but stage three, that's awfully close to stage four. Yeah. Are you sure? She goes, well, we got one more test, and then we'll, we'll definitely know, but it should be, you should be okay. Mm. Well, I'll get that other test done, stage four cancer. Mm. Now you start reading online, WebMD, and all that. Oh, it's God. like, yeah. you got 17% chance of survival rate. Uh, you got three, four years to live. You got this, you got that. I'm like, God, man. The world just got changed upside down. Mm. What do I do? Well, be positive. That's all you can do. Mm. You know, it's literally when you find out you have cancer, you, you get all these different emotions. Mm. Am I going to die? Am I going to live? I'm going to get cured. I mean, you, you don't know which way to turn. Mm -hmm. So the, the best thing I could say is I was very lucky to have a great support system, mm. friends, family, my business partner, um, just Everybody around me helped me, take me to mm -hmm. doctor's appointments, the chemos, the, you know, just anything I needed. I always had help. Mm -hmm. And going back to saving your money, this is yeah. the kicker. I didn't have that pressure. Mm -hmm. I having to pay for my car, my boat, my house, because I saved my money. Mm -hmm. So the pressure was just getting healthy, you know, going through the treatments, um, you know, being positive and heck I didn't work for a year mm. and I'm still kind of not guiding because of the, the chemo treatments and all that because the chemo just knocks the shit out of you yeah and yeah I try to keep it private for the most part but you know you tell one person one person tells the other next thing you know everybody knew about it and the reason I'm kind of open about it now is just bring awareness yeah you know as a young well you know 42 years old at the time when I found out I felt great mm -hmm. I didn't think there was anything wrong but um, th this whole colon cancer thing, it's become more and more common in people in their, you know, late thirties. Mm -hmm. So if I can say anything is get that colonoscopy, you know, yeah. don't wait for your doctor to tell you, wait till 45 years old, get it early. Because if you catch it early, it's curable. Mm. You know, right now I'm in limbo. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I feel great. Uh, just had surgery. It was successful. Uh, but when you hear stage four, you're never cured of stage four cancer. Yeah. You just yeah. live with stage four cancer. And mm -hmm. I'm just hoping 
with a positive attitude and good eating that, hey, I can get 20, 30, 40 years left in me, mm. you know? So, so tell me about, you, you find out that you got stage four cancer. You said a million emotions, I'm sure, just oh, yeah. roll through your mind. Tell me about the first time you were back on the water after that and what that experience was like. Man, when did I go back on the water? I know it wasn't on a charter. I had to be with some buddies because, because I, I mean, I lost a lot of weight. You know, mm-hmm. I'm normally about 220 and I was down to 165. Wow. It was, it was lost a lot of weight. And I really can't remember the first time because when you're on chemo, that chemo, man, it breaks your body down and your mind. Mm-hmm. So this thing called chemo brain. I don't know if you ever heard the term, mm-hmm. but you literally, you live in a fog. It's like, as soon as you walk out of chemo, it's like everything's cloudy around you and you just can't think straight. You don't know what day is what. You don't know what time is what. So I, re- I do remember getting back on the water, and I would fish in small spurts because part of doing chemo is you can't be out in the sun. Now, I, like I looked at my doctor. She goes, well, what do you do for a living? And I go, Doc, I'm a fishing guide. I'm in the sun 24-7. Yeah. What do you mean I can't do this? And uh, she says, well, you're going to have to cover up well. So being that I wasn't you know, physically strong enough, I'd go out for about an hour. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it, it was... If I started chemo November of 2019, I was probably in a skiff by January. Mm-hmm. I probably took like a month off to kind of get used to the side effects. Yeah. And then I'd always have a few good days that I can get out. And my buddies were always just carry me out there, take me out there. And, yeah. Because, you know, you, you need to get some fresh air. You know, all about mm. beating this nasty disease is just, like I said, being positive and surrounding yourself with good people and enjoying the outdoors. Mm. I think the outdoors is a great, uh, a great healer for the soul. Did you, um, did you find yourself in, you know, noticing things differently or seeing things differently? I mean, what type of shift does life-changing news like that impact the way that you, you fish and hunt and spend time with friends? I did see things differently. I noticed life is short and I noticed how people really gravitate towards you to help you, Mm. which was like, so hard touching. I was like, wow, look at people I haven't talked to in years. Man, I heard you're sick. What can I do for you? Mm. I mean, the support was overwhelming. Um, you tend to be a little more patient with people because mm-hmm. that's one thing I don't like is patience with people. Yeah. I, I just, you seem like a fast, fast paced guy. I am. I am. And yeah. like, I'm one of those guys, like if you can't keep up, I'm just, I'm leaving you. I'm running you over. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I, I just can't take it. And I've learned to be a little bit more patient with people mm-hmm. with it. Now that I feel a little better, I'm kind of, it's kind of <laughs> going back to my old ways a little bit, but you know, um, yeah, overall patience, man. I think that that's what helped me see. And, and I really see the good in people. I mean, mm-hmm. the good intentions people have, I mean, I can't tell you how many people just reached out and I'm just like, look, you need to ride a doctor's appointment and you need me to feed you, you need anything you want. We're here for you. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like it. Yeah. Thanks for uh, being willing to talk about it. Yeah. And I know that, you know, it's something that, you know, we were discussing beforehand. Oh, is this something that we can share or not? And I, I just, I shared with you that a lot of people who listen to the podcast, they, you know, it takes a lot to share personal things, but it helps people who maybe they're going through a similar circumstance or maybe their family or maybe they're going to, and they'll remember that one day. So I appreciate you for opening up on it. And if it's good with you, I'd love to move into some of my rapid fire questions. Absolutely. You've been involved in a lot of things. So I got a long list here. 
Um, my, my first one is, um, I, I know that you're also involved in, in photography and I, I've interviewed a lot of people that are involved in, in photography. How did you get into, how'd you get into taking photos and you know, what about that, I guess, has, has influenced you as a guide? So as I was young, my parents always pushed me to go to college. Mm-hmm. College was never for me. I just want to be out in the water. I just wanted to fish. So to make them happy, I had to pick a subject. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, cared, I liked photography back then, but I wasn't into it. I didn't own a camera. Mm-hmm. And I was looking kind of through the books and going, what can I pick? I mean, I'm not going to be a doctor and I'm mm-hmm. not going to do lawyer and photography. Oh, this is kind of cool. So I went and did my AA degree and then found out that Daytona Beach uh, Community College at the time had one of the top photo schools in the nation. Hmm. I said, deal, I'm in. Went in there and, and just learned a lot about studio photography, camera equipment, and back then we didn't have digital photography, it was all film. Mm-hmm. And then I hooked up with a good buddy of mine, his name is Tony Nesty, and I started doing some uh, um, assisting for him. So we did football games, worked for HBO, traveled around the U.S. doing college edition books for colleges, you know, just odds and end jobs. And I said, man, this is the life, man. This is good, man. Everywhere yeah. we go, we get great hotels. We get to eat anywhere we want and, you know, just submit our, our receipts and we get paid back. I mean, this is the life, man. Yeah. This is good stuff. <laughs> um, so I pursued that for several years, all the way to about 9-11. And when 9-11 happened, boy, that, that whole freelance market just took a hit. And mm. photographers were starving. And that's when I said, man, I got to do something else. And uh, I had already been in real estate some and been fishing since I was 12 years old here in Florida. So um, was always, uh, you know, getting into, you know, the lifestyle of becoming a guide and had my license and all that. Mm-hmm. But what I like about the photography part is being able to use that only not in real estate, but also in guiding. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many charters I get from people looking at my photos on my website. And basically what they say is, I want a picture of my family like that. I want one of those in my house. Yeah. I want to be on that website. Uh, so being a good photographer definitely helps business. Yeah, for sure. I, I I think that I'm I'm noticing a trend too. Of I mean, it's been going on a long time, but people who are in the outdoors, they they not only enjoy you know participating in it and experiencing it, but capturing it. And it's there's no doubt a correlation between photography and outdoorsmen. I, I know you also love duck hunting. Oh yeah. Um, and you like to travel around duck hunting. Give me in what ways now I see some huge correlations here, but in what ways does what you have learned and and know about duck hunting help you in your fishing here? I say it's the other way around. It's what I know from fishing that helped me out with duck hunting. And it's just understanding patterns, Mm -hmm. you know, just like you, you, you know how fish move on and off a flat or they hold the structure certain times of year or weather temperatures, this, that, and the other. It's the same thing with ducks. Uh, Ducks migrate in, uh, they say on the west coast we're, we're hunting for redheads mm-hmm. well you're not going to find them at low tide near the banks they're going to be out out in the water out deep and as the tide comes up the ducks can come in with the tide so a lot of what i learned through fishing i you know transfer over to my duck hunting and been successful because of it hmm. yeah i think um i think too it just it seems like for a lot of guides you know summer's their busy month so hunting becomes you know, during a slower part of the season where they can get out and enjoy something for themselves. For you, as somebody who's been involved in guiding for over 20 years, in what way as you have grown in that, in that as your profession, has it changed you as the angler? You know what? I'm not much of an angler these days. 
I'm just a monkey on a damn pulling platform pushing the boat, man. Um, I rarely ever get to go out and fish. Mm. You know, for all these young guys out there to think that, oh, I'm going to become a guide and I'm going to fish every day. No, you're not. If you mm. become successful, you guide every day. Mm-hmm. You're not out there as an angler fishing. That that rarely ever happens. And then as you get older, you know, you got mortgages to worry about. And you got a house to maintain and cars and this and that mm-hmm. and the other. So on your days off, yeah, you wish you can go out there and catch fish, but not, man, you you just did 20 days straight on the water. You got that day off. You got to go scrub the driveway or something. You know, yeah. you got to, you know, wipe you down the windows. You got a honeydew list. Yeah. yeah. You got Oh, yeah. That list is always long. Um, so, uh, you know, for, for you, you've obviously own it a, a, a barbecue restaurant and Traeger's one of the sponsors of this show give me give me your best barbecue recipe you're willing to share for the oh, listeners <laughs> especially in the Traeger's man I do so many um god man a recipe well what, what it could be you, a what, tip what, it could be a tip too um what, what do you like I I think we could talk we could talk ribs or we could talk uh pulled pork you know well ribs are my specialty all right well let's go that way ribs yeah. are my specialty so the, the, the key to good rib obviously is low and slow and the triggers are phenomenal for that with those pellet smokers man they just give off some some great flavor great texture um you know i like to cook my ribs for four hours okay you know not more than that you know you read about these three two one methods and all that does it work yes but is it great no um most people that are professionals at cooking barbecue, um, they, they all have their ways. And my way is a four-hour cook time. I like to do three and a half hours of just open smoke, wrap it up for a half hour, and finish it off. Mm-hmm. And how you finish it off is when we talk about finishing off is like competition style is, you know, double wrap aluminum foil, and you can add whatever you want. A lot of brown sugar, honeys, um, hot sauce, butter, you name it, wrap it up finish it off unwrap it and then just enjoy that now, sweet sweet candy what's your rib. what's your cook temp during the two fifty and a half 250 yeah. then any tips on rubs or anything like that yeah um there's basically two different types of rubs you know you got your brown brown sugar based rubs and then you got paprika based rubs i like a brown sugar i like sweet barbecue mm-hmm. uh, i'm not talking about sauce i'm just talking about rubs now and um I, I am a brown sugar rub kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could buy some decent rubs out at the store, but I like to make my own. Now, Traeger does make some phenomenal rubs. Mm-hmm. I do have some at the house. Uh, the fin and feather is good. The, uh, the poultry one is good. Um, but when it comes to my meats, the ribs, the pulled pork, I like to make my own. Yeah. And it's all brown sugar based. Yeah. That, I, I think that's helpful. I, um, I definitely, I like ribs too because I feel like, there's certain circumstances with beef brisket or pulled pork that the, just the amount of time, even with an, something like a Traeger, you know, it's real easy. But, you know, four hours is you get off the water, you throw those things on, you can have a beer, you can talk to your friends, you can hang out, and you're still eating at a reasonable time. So I find it's pretty practical, too, to get into the rib space. Um, I, I know that you uh, – one of the things I noticed on your website was you offered some, some shark trips, and uh, I thought that was pretty cool to – have that mixed in. I don't see a lot of guys who do flats fishing with sharks trips. Get, I mean, give me, give me the rundown on, on, you know, I know that's not something that a lot of guides brag about in, in our flats space, but it's a lot of fun for people to catch sharks. I mean, well, like I said earlier, we are in the entertainment business. Yeah. Okay. I'm not here to stroke my ego and pull you on a flat and point at all these little, you know, fish in the shallows and 
and have you cast a perfect fly to it. It's not what I'm here to make you happy. Yeah. And a lot of people, a lot of my my guests that come over from the Midwest or some landlocked state, you tell them, hey, you guys want to catch a shark? Well, hell yeah. I want to come to Florida. I want to catch Charles. (laughs) You're damn right. And honestly, as a guide in this area, it's probably one of the easiest fish to catch. Yeah. And abundance. What what, what do you do? Like, how do you like to target? So in the summertime, we have our shrimp boats right off the beaches here. And roughly about between 8, 30, 9 o'clock, they dump their bycatch. And you just go out there when they dump that bycatch. And it's just, well, and that's also how we do a lot of our tarpon fishing. But tarpon aside, if we're targeting those sharks, they just come up 20, 30, 40, 50, hundreds at a time. And they just start munching on anything that moves on the surface. They're just eating all the bycatch. So it's nothing just to scoop up a bunch of bycatch, put it on a circle hook, throw it out there, and start hooking sharks left and right. I mean, it's mm-hmm. one after another. You wear people's arms out. And you want to talk about happy clients? Yeah. You know, is, is it chasing, uh, you know, 150-pound tarpon on fly in the shallows? No. Yeah. Is it, uh, you know, chasing bonefish or permit on fly? No. But at the end of the day, these people are happy, and that's my job is to make people happy. Yeah. A full breech black tip is one of the coolest eats I've ever seen. I mean, it's when you see when you see a black tip or a spinner shark, or whatever you know, whatever, really do its thing. I mean, it's I don't care who you are and how how much of a purist you are, it's pretty cool. Especially when you get that migratory run of of the black tips coming up the beach. Yeah, I mean, you'll see hundreds of them. And they're just free jumping, spinning everywhere. Yeah. And people are like, holy crap, what was that? I was like, what you about to catch? Yeah. Oh, they love it. They yeah. love it. Kids especially. Oh. I, ca- I caught one on a topwater lure this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty It was pretty, pretty fun to go out there, and they were on these huge bait balls and all this stuff and catch oh, one that way. Nothing is more satisfying in my ears to come back to the dock and having a 12-year-old or 14-year-old kid jump off the boat and run up to grandma and grandpa oh my god you won't believe the sharks we caught all we caught 30 of them they were so much fun i mean it's just that's what we do it for just to keep people happy make people happy how how do you try to so you know i mean i think in in flats fishing which is predominantly who i who i interview and the space that i'm in you know there's a lot of purism turn you know narcissism or egoism something some sort of ism there and, uh, you know, I think sometimes you can kind of lose touch with the 12-year-old who wants to catch a shark. I mean, how do you try to protect yourself from falling into that elitist mindset? Surround yourself with people that will kick you in the ass when you become an elitist, number one. Mm. You know, you, you get your buddies, and they'll, they'll, they'll pop that balloon for you real quick. It's like, <laughs> listen to this jackass talking all this nonsense, man. Yeah. Get out of here, man. Shut up, man. Go back to catching sharks or flounder or whatever it is, man. It's just, yeah, we, we you know. I got a lot of guys that work with me, man, and we're all just very down-to-earth guys. You know, we, mm-hmm. we know that our fishery is not the best in the world, but, man, we, we, we got some opportunities here, and we make the best of what we got. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it. You know, no egos here. It's not like the Keys where, you know, you, you're, you're pulling these flats and nobody come within a mile of you or else you lose your shit. No, no. And, yeah. and the way to keep in check, like I said, surround yourself with people that are going to keep you in check. So, you know, you've lived a lot of life. You've been involved in a lot of different projects. If you go back to yourself when you're 20 years old and you're, you know, running real estate off your skiff, what advice would you would you give to yourself? Man, get out of that skiff and sell some more real estate. I should have been a millionaire. <laughs> God, man, the opportunities I squandered just being out there fishing. I mean, the fishing just kept dragging me out there. I just wanted to fish so bad. And, you know, I thought making maybe 10 or 9 grand or whatever it was a month was 
great money. You know, I'm 18, 19 years old. This is awesome. Yeah. I should be a millionaire right now. Man, I blew it. You know, it, the market was so hot and I was sitting there selling, you know, little small quarter acre tracks of land where I should have been selling, you know, thousands and thousands of acres to developers and, and, and bigger projects. I just didn't have know-how. I didn't have anybody to guide yeah. me. I just knew what I knew and I just stuck with it. Mm -hmm. I felt it was like a little niche for me, but going back, knowing what I know now, oh man, I should have been a millionaire. I kicked myself in the ass. <laughs> Damn redfish. <laughs> oh man, that was not what I was expecting. So that's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah. To have no, I'm, I'm a hard critic on myself, man. I always look back. I go, I should, this, should, I could do this better. And I think that's what makes me a better person moving forward, as far as business is concerned. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're young. Young people are lazy. You know, you get content with just a little bit. And looking back, I was just like, man, why didn't I just take these other opportunities and really run with them and. And, and shit, shit, I wouldn't even be guy. I'd be retired right now. I'd be paying somebody to take me fishing. <laughs> you know, I blew it. Uh, that's good. Well, hey, man, I really enjoyed it, and I appreciate you for hanging out with us at this park and and showing us your your restaurant. What an incredible setup you have here, and a great story. And I just appreciate the time that you gave us today. Thank, Thank you. you. Hey, you're welcome, man. Thank you for coming out. Good times. Thanks again for listening to The Captain's Collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy. This is The Captain's Collective.